Now, guys, it is already starting to happen. My girls are seven, and they're already starting to ask about having friends stay the night. Now, I, I remember that was a big part of my life growing up, elementary school. I was always, it seemed like every weekend I was staying the night at someone's house or having them stay over, but I don't remember how early it started. I mean, of course, then I wasn't thinking about my future kids, but I mean, I feel like it wasn't this early, but I mean, it seems like every time they hang out with one of their friends or we have them come over, they go over there, they always run up like, can so-and-so stay the night or can we stay the night? And we're just like, oh, I don't want to deal with that right now. <laughs> I just want you to go to bed and be in bed and that's it. I'm not ready for that yet. Um, now, growing up, I remember asking this of my parents, again, almost every weekend, and learning how to ask them, it became a bit of an art form, didn't it? Anybody remember doing that with their own parents? You, know, you start to notice patterns and methods that would maximize the effectiveness of getting the answer that you would want. Like if one of my parents was in a good mood, like my sights would set in on them. I'm like, they're the weak one. They're the one that I'm going to go after. They're the one that I'm going to ask. Or the classic pitting of one parent against the other. You know, I'd go up and, of course, ask my dad because he was usually the weak link with it. And I'd be like, hey, can I stay the night at so-and-so's house? And he's like, what'd your mother say? I'm like, oh, okay, I'll go ask. I'm like, hey, mom, uh, can I stay the night with so-and-so's? Dad said it was all right. <laughs> now, it wasn't exactly true. Uh, but I had a bit of a loosey-goosey relationship with the truth then. Um, and, of course, you know, the truth took a back seat to my sleepover needs. And so it kind of became a work of art, figuring out the perfect time and, and way and method of asking to make sure that I would get what I wanted. And another thing we qu quickly learned was the power of intercession. That if you asked together you were more likely to get the answer that you wanted. So rather than me going up, because my parents just, you know, I don't know, it was just force of habit or just constant practice. They were okay saying no to me because I think they got a lot of practice doing it. But saying no to my friend as well, because I'd bring them like, can I have so-and-so stay the night? And of course, it's like, it's this, which of course I felt that too of like, it's embarrassing to like disappoint someone else's kid. Like you don't, there's something in you, like you don't want to do it. So you're like, well... Uh, uh, that's hard. And like I learned, like if I bring someone along, like we can, his parents already said it was okay. And then it's like you just learn how to pile it on over and over again. And so we'd approach them together and figure out, we'd begin to invoke our good behavior, invoke all these chores that we were going to do. Like, oh no, if he can stay the night, then I'll mow the lawn or I'll clean my room or I'll, you know, do this or that. And so finally, eventually I would get a yes. And stay the night. It'd be like the best thing ever, and we'd have so much fun and stay up till, you know, way later than I probably should have. And then, of course, I get home thinking, mission accomplished. I got what I, you know, what I wanted. And then I realized now I had to mow the lawn, and I had to clean up my bedroom, and I had to do all these other things that I was kind of hoping just a little bit that that would get forgotten, but it never, ever did. Now, I bring this up because we're several weeks into this series called House of Prayer, and we're looking at the different ways that you can pray in the Bible that we see over and over again, and we're exploring how our lives can be transformed when we begin to engage in these types of prayers in our everyday, ordinary kind of life. See, back in the summer, our leadership team had kind of discerned God calling us into a season of seeking after God in prayer like we never have before. And we found ourselves asking the question, what happens when we pray 
like we never have before? What happens when we believe what the Bible says about when we seek God like we never have before in Scripture, that God moves in ways he's never moved before? That if we believe our vision statement really is to see a greater movement of Jesus in each new generation, what does it look like to pursue God for that movement so that we can see that movement in our day? And so that's what we've been looking at. And so today we're going to be moving to a different type of prayer, which is intercessory prayer. Now, intercession, in its most simple definition, is simply approaching God in prayer on behalf of another. This is me crying out to God on behalf of my kids, or crying out to God on behalf of my marriage, or of my church, or of my town, or my city, or my country. That anytime I'm crying out to God on behalf of someone else, I'm engaging in what's called intercessory prayer. Now as Christians, we're called to a regular life of intercessory prayer. Do you know that? 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, which we've read this before, but pay attention. Where Paul, he's writing to Timothy about the, the, the regular Christian gathering as they come together. Where he says, I urge you then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people. And then he names specifically for kings and those in authority. So be sure to pray for the leaders. But really it's for all people. We're to be praying on behalf of all people before God. And all, uh, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all go- godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases God our Savior who wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. So a part of all people coming to a saving truth in Jesus Christ requires that we are interceding for them, praying for praying to to God for you know on behalf of these other people on a regular basis. In fact, uh, the Greek word that is used here for intercession, uh, I was having some interesting conversations with Darren around this, and uh, we stumbled upon some old writings around this word. It's the Greek word entuxis. It's a really interesting word because it's different than like petitions or supplications of just asking for things, you know. It almost has this like picture of like a laundry list, and we've kind of talked about this, that intercession is a little bit of a different thing, that there's a, a, now don't get me wrong, intercession is about asking God for things, but it's more than that. There's almost a, a conversational style, a conversational feel to the word entuxis. Um, intercession can overlap into travailing prayer like Jonathan talked about last week as we seek God on behalf of another and just simply refuse to give up. But the key point of intercession is that it's always ever not about us, not about me. It's not me asking for something for my benefit. It's always about asking God for something for someone else's benefit. The word entuxis speaks of this conversation as to be this kind of back and forth conversation with God. Like, you know, times you may have heard someone say, well, let me talk to that person for you. Like, I'll put a good word in for you. That's kind of the nature. It's the sentiment of saying, let me talk to them and I'll I'll kind of figure things out for you. Intercession has kind of a sense to that. In fact, uh, an early writing of an early church father, Origen of Alexandria. He was an uh, early church father in the early centuries of the church, one of the greatest biblical scholars of the early centuries. 
actually writes about this word. And he, the interesting thing he said about the idea of intercession is that the fundamental point of the word in Tuxis was that it has everything to do, it's primarily focused on uh, boldness around access to God's presence. Basically what he says, the reason intercession is such a powerful thing is because we know we have free access into God's presence because of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Like if you believe in Jesus, if you are following him, you are a son, a daughter of God, and you have free access into the presence of God. And it's because of that boldness, that confidence, that I can come before God and know every time I come before God, I'm not going to be denied an audience with the king. And so I can pray for other people knowing that God is going to hear me every single time. In fact, there's a, an old saying that we still use it all the time now about, it's all about who you know. Have you heard that before? Like if you've come out of college and you're trying to find a job, and oftentimes it is about who you know. That if you know someone or have a relationship with someone involved in the company that you, you, know, you want to interview for or someone who's high up on the board or something like that, you are, for good or for bad, more likely to be hired there because of the relationships that you have, the connections there, because that person, in effect, is interceding for you. So if you can put on your references, I know this person who has worked in this company for 30 years, they can almost serve as an intercessor for you, speaking on your behalf. Another thing you may have noticed is uh, in certain movies— like certain, like Steven Spiel, uh, certain directors like Steven Spielberg or Martin Scorsese. Have you ever noticed that the same actors show up in their movies over and over and over again? It's because of who you know. If you have a good relationship with the director, they can put a word into the casting person about, no, I've worked with this person, that he's great or she's great, you should hire them, they're the person that I want for this, that there's a sense where the director is able to intercede for that person, put in a good word for them. And see, the Bible is full of stories of people interceding to God on behalf of others. Abraham interceding for Sodom and Gomorrah to save those cities from destruction. Joseph interceding for his brothers during the famine. The Levitical priesthood was literally designed to be intercessors for the people, that they are in the temple ministering before the presence of God, interceding for the sins of those in the community. We see the prophet Elisha interceding for the nation of Israel, bringing the rains during drought, on and on and on and on. But of course, one person in the Old Testament stands out head and shoulders above anyone as an intercessor before the people, and it's Moses. Now, we did a series on Moses back earlier this year, but we didn't get to cover this story, and I, I was in some ways glad because I wanted to be able to look at this very interesting story about Moses because Moses had a very unique relationship with God. In fact, the way that it is described in Moses' relationship with God, Exodus 33, 11, it says this, that the Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. Can you imagine that? Talking to God one-on-one, -on -one, face to face, as if he was your friend. Now, of course, we know on this side of the cross, you are actually able to have that type of relationship because of Christ, because of Jesus we are able to have a face-to-face -face friendship relationship. But earlier, back in the Old Testament, no one had that. God was distant. God was all-powerful. God was all-knowing. He was too mighty and powerful and scary to be with. And yet somehow God, uh, Moses, has, Moses had cultivated this relationship 
with God in which there's this deep knowing, face-to-face interaction. And so he could come before God on behalf of the nation of Israel over and over and over again. And so we're going to look at a story where he actually does that. This is earlier on in the story of Israel. They had literally just days or weeks before come out of Egyptian slavery. So they hadn't even been at the foot of Mount Sinai yet. They had not even received the Ten Commandments yet. In fact, they were on the trek in the desert going to Sinai to eventually receive the law in the next days and weeks. And while they're traveling along, of course, you think none of them are soldiers. All of them just came out of back-breaking labor for 400 years And they're traveling and weary. And there's this nomadic people called the Amalekites. And they see this group traveling and they're like, we've heard the story about them escaping from slavery. Now is our time because they they don't have a trained army. They were slaves. They were driven into the ground through labor. So let's attack them and we can plunder all the stuff that they supposedly had taken from Egypt. And so this is where the story starts out. Exodus 17 verse 8. It says, the Amalekites came and attacked the Israelites at Rephidim. And Moses said to Joshua, choose some of our men and go out to fight the Amalekites. Tomorrow, I will stand on top of the hill with the staff of God in my hands. And so Joshua fought the Amalekites as Moses had ordered. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went to the top of the hill. Now this is an interesting thing that happens here because it says, as long as Moses held up his hands, so he's holding the staff of God, held up his hands, the Israelites were winning. But whenever he lowered his hands, the Amalekites were winning. So this is a really strange, interesting story because the Amalekites are attacking Israel, hoping to take advantage of their weakened state, and Moses sends Joshua, the commander, of their kind of makeshift army of like, well, we got to do something, so go down and fight them. And I'm going to be up on this hill, and I'm going to be holding the staff over my head. Which to us, it's like, that's, okay, weird flex, but all right. Like, what is that? I don't know, I don't know what that is. But of course, Joshua and all of them would have known what that was because it said this, he was going to hold the staff of God over his head. Now remember, the staff of God was the staff that God gave Moses when he first called him. He said, throw it down and it can turn into a snake. It turns, you know, water into blood and, you know, was able to replicate most of the the false miracles of the sorcerers in Egypt. And it parted the Red Sea and they struck the rock and water came out of it. That literally all of the miracles that happened happened through this staff. And he says, so I'm going to hold this up. So essentially what he's telling Joshua is, you go into battle and fight. I'm going to go up on the hill and pray for you for a miracle. And that's what the staff of God represented. Every miracle we've experienced came through this. So I'm going to hold this up to remind you that miracles happen. See, that's intercession. Someone who knew God praying on behalf of others for supernatural intervention. And of course, we see the effect that it says that he's holding the staff up and they would begin to win. But of course, Moses was 80 plus. And so holding a staff up, you know, sometimes those battles could last for hours and hours, if not all day. And so he gets tired and eventually he's lowering his arm and maybe thinking, okay, like it seems like we're doing okay. Maybe I don't need to pray anymore. And as his arm lowered, 
tide of the battle would begin to turn and he'd be like, oh, no, 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 I need to hold it back up because like clearly this is happening. But he's getting to the point where like, I can't do it anymore. I've not, ever since we left Egypt, I haven't been able to go to the gym anymore. So my, you know, my, my shoulders aren't what they used to be. And so I, I can't hold it up anymore. Because sometimes intercession by yourself, and Moses is learning this, intercession by yourself isn't enough. And so we see what happens in verse 12. When Moses' hands grew tired, they took a stone and they put it under him and he sat on it. So they're like rolling a stone over here. Sit down, Moses. Aaron and Hur held his hands up, one on one side, one on the other, so that his hands remained steady until sunset. So literally for the rest of the day, it's like, no, it's okay. You haven't been able to get to the gym. That's all right. We're young. We've been to the gym. And so they just literally, we're just going to hold your arms up as long as it takes until the battle's over. See, Moses was getting tired, but his community surrounded him to give him strength when he didn't have enough strength himself. And they noticed that the tide of battle would begin to shift back, that the Israelites, as they held up his arms again, they began to... uh, win. And so they do it all day until the Israelites win the battle. And we shouldn't be surprised by this story because there's a lesson that comes with this idea. It shows us that intercession stresses our need for one another. Because you see, community has some very functional benefits. It's not about just having fun, about having fellowship. It's not just about, oh, I'm kind of lonely, so I would like someone to hang out with. No, we need each other in spiritual community for the spiritual work of intercession. As I pray for others, I need others praying for me. I need help praying for others that I can't sufficiently, my faith, my strength is not enough for me to pray for others by myself. I need to be praying for others with others. And this is why we started the midweek prayer that we've been doing, and these people have been gathering and coming together, that we're coming together in the name of Jesus to pray with each other, for each other, for the sake of others. See, it's simply recognizing that left to myself, sometimes or even oftentimes, I'm going to grow tired, I'm going to give up. I'm going to cease in prayer, and so I need others to come alongside me and give me strength and pray for me in some ways. And so the New Testament is filled with these exhortations over and over and over again about the importance of praying for one another. In the book of James, it talks about where it says, confess your sins to each other and pray for one another that you might be healed. Oftentimes we don't experience the freedom and the healing that we need in our lives because we're not confessing to each other. We're not bringing it into the night. We're not, inviting, we're not inviting people in community to help us. Paul constantly, if you read his letters, he says over and over again, keep praying for me as I'm doing my ministry. He's like, I'm praying for you constantly, but I need you constantly praying for me as well because the only way the gospel is going to go forward is if we are interceding for each other on a regular basis. And then, of course, to top it off, even Jesus himself needed intercession. Did you know that? Jesus needed intercession. You don't believe me? Gethsemane. What did he say to Peter and John and James? Couldn't you even watch with me for an hour? He's saying, I feel weak. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Because that's 
essentially what intercession is. It is watching with other people in prayer. And so in Gethsemane, Jesus is inviting the disciples, watch with me in prayer. Pray for me as I am about to do the most difficult thing any human has done in human history and ever will do to bear the sins of the world. And yet when Jesus himself is praying in Gethsemane, and you can read much of what his prayers are in John 17, that John, John even though he may have been dozing at times, he did catch some of it and actually recorded it down. Only about a third of the time was Jesus even praying for himself. He was praying that God would sustain him and help him through that. But then he begins to pray for his disciples who are going to be left behind. And then he doesn't just pray for them. He prays for us. Did you know Jesus prayed for us? He said, I pray for all the disciples who will come after them, who will come to faith because of their message. He's talking about every single person in this room. That Jesus, in his moment of greatest weakness and greatest strife, was interceding for you. And now the scriptures say he sits at the right hand of God making intercession for us all the time. Jesus prays for you on a regular basis. Did you know that? Paul in Romans 8 says that the Holy Spirit intercedes for us, in us, with words and groans beyond words. So Jesus is praying for you on a regular basis. The Holy Spirit is praying for you on a regular basis. Intercession is a pretty important thing in the Bible. And so Jesus, even more than Moses, who knew God face to face, knew the necessity of intercessory prayer. And so much, and we see oftentimes, like in this story, much of the works of God won't occur or won't occur the way they could occur if we're not engaging in intercession, if we're not praying, if the people of God are not praying as they're called to pray. We miss out. God is still at work, but we miss out on that work by not joining with him in prayer and see, the Lord knew that. And this is why he goes on after they win the battle. Moses, you know, with Aaron and her helping him, they're able to hold the staff up and they win the battle. And so this is what happens in verse 14. It says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Write this on a scroll as something to be remembered and make sure that Joshua hears it. I didn't even, I've never even noticed that until I started studying this. He says, Make specific sure that Joshua hears what we did up here. Because I will completely blot out the name of Amalek from under heaven. So he says, make sure Joshua hears what happened here today. And there's a reason why. See, Joshua needed to hear what happened on that hill. Because he was down in the battle. He's swinging swords and screaming and pushing people down and, you know, doing what soldiers do. So he's probably, he heard Moses say he was going to be up there holding up the staff. And that's probably the last he thought about it. And so he's in the ebb of flow, sending out squads, sending out battalions, trying to figure out what to do. And he's growing tired. And then suddenly they win after this terrible day of fighting. See, he didn't see the ebb and flow of the battle from Moses' perspective. He didn't see how directly connected to prayer it actually was. And here's why this matters. Because stories of prayer engage the power of prayer. Stories of prayer engage the power of prayer. How many of us have heard stories, either in our own lives or in our families or our friends, of stories of prayer of, of people's lives who have been healed, who were so far away from God and somehow their hearts were softened to the things of Jesus? And there's no way to explain it other than prayer. And when you hear that, those stories of supernatural healings and provision and unexpected results, did it not build your faith when you heard those stories? 
This is why we overcome the enemy by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. Because the stories of the power of God build our faith. See, Joshua needed to hear the story of the power of Moses' prayers, the power of that intercession. You know why? Because there was going to be a lot of battles before this was all over. And God was wanting to form something in Joshua so that when he went in to take the promised land 40 years later, when he entered into battle, prayer would be his first response, not his last resort. Because that's normally the way it is for us, right? Prayer is our last resort. I tried everything else and it didn't work, so I guess we have to pray. But it's like, no, when, when you know the power of God, when you know what God is capable of, prayer becomes your first response, that the best thing we can do is pray, and God will move. I mean, how many of you have survived something because someone was praying? Something I learned just even in adulthood, because I thought I was one of the first people of faith in my family, because I didn't grow up in a Christian family, I wasn't raised in the church, I came to faith real faith, genuine faith in Jesus whenever I was 17. And I thought I was the first in the family, but over the years I end up hearing stories and having conversations with my family and hearing stories about my great-grandmother. My dad's talking about this, which he maybe kind of grew up in the church, but very nominally, and that was kind of my family experience was they sometimes went to church, but it didn't really impact their life. But he tells stories about my grandma who he said that she lived with a Bible in her hand, that she, in her older years, spent all of her time. There's this chair she always sat in, and she said she had this well-worn Bible next to her, and she spent all of her time praying constantly for her family, for things going on in the world, that she constantly prayed. And I start thinking back through the history of our family, and I realize maybe that was the providence the power of God over our lives when my grandfather fought in the Pacific in World War II, that he was there when the kamikaze campaigns, he saw the Japanese planes go up and disappear in the clouds, and then you hear the whine as they begin to fall and crash into their carries. He was there, he saw it, and yet he lived. My father fought in Vietnam. Story after story, he told me of walking these jungle paths and them tripping IEDs shrapnel flying and hitting the people in front of him and behind him and yet he's unscathed bullets literally feeling the wind of bullets fly by his head terrified out of his mind and yet he was preserved story after story after story of near-death experiences and yet preservation by the power of god and then coming to now her great great grandson or great grandson is now preaching the gospel in Effingham, Illinois, leading people to Christ, baptizing people, counseling people, one of the first in the family to be in ministry. Did she know that was going to happen? Did she pray that specifically? I don't know, but I think it played a part in my life. We have no idea how much prayers can affect things, and it's the same for many of you here today. In fact, what I want you to do, just real quick for me, look down at the ground. Just look at the ground real quick. Just look down at the carpet. Did you know that there are names written under this carpet? When this building was built 15-ish years ago, there was a group of people who were praying, and they wrote down names underneath the floor, underneath the flooring, of people who, family members, friends, people in the community that did not know Christ yet. And the truth is, and some of you may not even know this, some of you do know, 
there are some of you in the room here today because your name is written somewhere under this floor. They did the same thing in Newton, Jasper County. There are names, Jasper County, listen, there are names written under the carpet where you're sitting right now, people that matter to God and therefore should matter to us. And so we've been praying for them, and some of them have come to Christ, have come to church, and then come to Christ subsequently because of that. We did the same thing in Shelbyville. Prayer matters. Lives have been changed. See, can you imagine if we all began to pray like Moses and Paul and Jesus prayed, interceding on behalf of others? Not because there's anything special about me or you or us, anything great about our faith, because at the end of the day, intercessory prayer is not about us. It's about who we know. See, because of Jesus, we can know the Father, and we have unfettered, unlimited access into the presence of God to always be able to request presence with the king and know that we'll be giving a be given a, a resounding yes and now i can talk to my father about these people that matter so much to him and matter so much to me see that's what we're called to ezekiel 22 verses 30 and 31 says this it kind of states the problem the state and the problem that we're in the prophet Ezekiel says, I looked for someone, this is the Lord speaking through Ezekiel, he says, God is saying, I looked for someone among them who would build up the wall, who would stand before me in the gap on behalf of the land so that I would not have to destroy it. Did you know that there are people going to hell? Hell is a real place, and it is the real destination for many, many people in this world. He says, and I, so I was waiting for someone to stand on the gap on behalf of the land so I would not have to destroy it, but I found no one. No one was willing to pray. No one was willing to tell. No one was willing to love. So I will pour out my wrath on them and consume them with my fiery anger, bringing down on their heads all they have done, declares the Lord, that there's this problem of there's no one to stand in the gap. See, that's the condition of this world. God is searching for anyone who is willing to stand in the gap, intercede for a world that is going to hell. But of course, unlike Ezekiel's story, and at that time and at that place, there is someone to stand in the gap now. There is the man, Jesus Christ, and he is inviting us, his hands and his feet, his body, to stand in the gap with him and partake in and witness the great works of God in our time because we said yes to the invitation to pray. See, Jonathan said something last week where he said that the New Testament is relatively unfamiliar with the idea of casual prayer. Well, I'm going to say today that if you, are un, if you are relatively unfamiliar with the idea of praying with and for other people, you are relatively unfamiliar with prayer. Because that's all there is in the, the scriptures. Praying for and praying with other people. That it is a natural part of the spiritual life. So if you are relatively unfamiliar with that, even if you've been following Christ for years, you are relatively unfamiliar with prayer. See, imagine how different our world would be if all of us began interceding for the needs around us. Imagine how different our town, our state, our country, even the world would be if we let go of our petty little God bless my day kind of prayers 
and actually did the hard work of crying out to God on behalf of the souls around us that are going to hell. The broken, the lost, the hurting. It would literally change the world, not because of who we are, but because of the one who we know who can. Will you stand with me? Each week in this series, we've been trying to give the opportunity to practice the type of prayer that we you know, have been teaching on and preaching on uh, this morning. And so we want to give you the opportunity to actually practice intercessory prayer. And so you may have noticed when you got here, or maybe you didn't, that there's a, uh, a card, a piece of paper underneath your seat. And so what we're going to do is I want us to just take a moment or so, and you may already know who it is. It may be a family member maybe a spouse, maybe a co-worker, you know someone who needs prayer, who needs someone to stand in the gap for them, for their soul, for things that are going in their life, for, for a disease, for a sickness, for a problem, for some sort of bondage in their life, an addiction, they can't become free of it, or a, a sin pattern, or a sin problem. They, they need someone to stand in the gap for them, someone willing to say yes to the invitation that God gave Ezekiel. So what I want you to do is there should be pens in the pockets of the back of the seats to write down that name or those names. And if one of them is you, that's fine. You can write your own name down among the others and someone else will pray for it. And what I want you to do is we're going to move the cross up here. And I want to invite you, once you do that, to take that person that you're going to be commit to intercede for this week and lay it down at the foot of the cross. Now, I want to encourage what, to keep the flow going in the room once you're ready to, you know, set the, the paper down at the foot of the cross. Exit on the outside of your section to come around, and then whenever you go back to your seat, come back through, return through this middle row right here just to kind of keep the, the flow going, not bumping into each other. So take whatever amount of time you need, write that down, and then leave it at the foot of the cross.